Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Karen Miller is the owner of Zen Tankara, a Colorado company that designs, manufactures, and sells Tankara rods, lines, and accessories. In this episode of Anchored, I sit down with Karen to hear more about how the company was founded and how she handles innovation and criticism. We also discuss angles while fighting fish, Tankara's history, and more. Where were you born? And raised? Uh, actually, North Miami, Florida. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yes, I'm a, I'm a native Floridian, um, transplanted to Colorado back in 99. So, I, uh, yeah, I was raised in Hollywood, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Coconut Grove, Miami, you know, that whole South Florida area. Right. Okay. So moving out of the South, was that a family thing or did you move when you were a little bit older? No, no. I was, I was in my thirties, mid thirties when I moved to Colorado and just had had a bunch of changes with, uh, family. Um, my mother had passed away. Um, my father had left the state. I had, um, um, a young son and, um, South Florida, was feeling a little crazy. And I had, uh, friends that went back from, or went back to high school living in Colorado that, you know, kind of convinced me to make the jump. (laughs) So yeah. Why Colorado? Were you looking for mountains and adventure or did it just seem safe at the time? I, I was looking for change. Um, but I think, um, I think the outdoor piece of it appealed to me. Um, and of course I had, I had some friends here already. So the connection was nice. It wasn't just making like, you know, a solo move without knowing anybody. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big call, especially as a mom. Were you an outdoorsy gal already at that time? Yes. Uh, just, you know, more time in the ocean. And, um, my father lived on a boat. Um, so, uh, grew up doing a lot of, a lot of boating, not, not necessarily fishing, um, but cruising, um, through the Bahamas, um, and Caribbean. And, um, you know, we often went for long periods of time as I, became a teenager, you know, I kind of revolted against that. Little did I know as I got older, (laughs) what a gift that, that was, but you know, I didn't want to leave my friends and I didn't want to leave, you know, a job or what have you. But, um, so we were, uh, very, um, I, you know, in a way feral kids, my sister and I, um, when we did boating, we would just sort of take off and, you know, I mean, I was 
And nowadays, it would probably be considered neglect, you know, but, you know, if you could grab a soda and uh, a box of cereal, because they were boxes back then, um, little boxes, uh, you'd take off and um, you'd come back when you were hungry. So, you know, we were just out there doing our thing, exploring islands and yeah, just cruising around. Not fly fishing yet. So I'm excited to hear when fly fishing entered your life. But before we go there, in your 30s, Colorado, I'm assuming single mom. Yes. Did you have a job already? What were you doing for work at that time? Education. So early childhood education. I came out here, um, transferred my master's program uh, from Nova Southeastern University to um, University of Northern Colorado and um, did a guest internship in Fort Collins and uh, finished my master's degree and then got into education. So, okay. So fly fishing, where and how does it enter the mix? Um, I did eventually meet somebody and, um, get married. Um, I was, um, I would say a reluctant fly angler. Um, I didn't, love it. Um, when I was first introduced to fly fishing, there was sort of a, uh, a marital agreement that, uh, if my ex did yoga classes with me, I would go <laughs> fly fish with him. Um, but there was just a lot to it. And honestly, I, I didn't do it enough for anything to remain in long-term memory or long-term muscle memory, even worse, you know, so I would do it and then, you know, maybe a month or two would pass, maybe two months and then I'd do it again. And it was like, what were, what were those knots and how do I set this up and blah, 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 blah. Um, I also, um, I'm a little bit hyperactive, maybe. <laughs> I've been accused of uh, being everything from the Energizer Bunny to the Tasmanian Devil. Um, <laughs> so, you know, by the time it it took to get set up and everything, I was I was just like, you know, when when is Let's go. What's going to happen? We've already spent, you know, two hours in the car to get here. I've spent 20 minutes getting my waders on and another 20 minutes rigging up my rod. And oh my God, it's like, you know. <laughs> but, but you can do yoga. So you obviously have some sense of patience. I do. I would assume. I do. <laughs> it's been, it's been groomed and nurtured. <laughs> do you think if you had taken up fly fishing with friends instead that maybe you would have been less reluctant? Well, I think, um, I mean, there were very few women um, doing any of this, you know, back in 2000. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I fished with another female until, oh my gosh, probably 2000. 14 or 15 or 2016. So, uh, I mean, I, I didn't know any other women that fished. Um, I never had any exposure to any of them. Um, so I was always just, you know, tagging along with the guys. So, right. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So then what happens in this timeline? Because I'm fascinated how you've gone from a reluctant fly angler to now owning a fly fishing company. Are you still with this guy, by the way? No. I know that's totally inappropriate, but are. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so, um, the, the, the short version of it is that, um, um, I, I was looking for a Christmas present for him, you know, something that the that the fly angler, you know, doesn't already have, something that was really cool. And this was back 2009, 2010, um, when Tenkara was just coming over uh, to the States. And I um, 
got my hands on a rod and uh, gave it to him as a Christmas present. And one day, I think probably the next spring when we went out to fish, me being, you know, like impatient and ready um, to go home before we had even hit the water, um, he was setting up my rod and he quickly set up the Tenkara rod and said, here, go play with this while I like get your rod set up. And um, I went down to the water and it was like, oh, this is like so much easier. And this is so intrinsic. And um, I think I had already hooked into a couple of fish by the time he plotted down to the river um, with, um, you know, with my setup rod. And I, you know, he went to hand me the other rod and said, here. And I just looked at him and said, why haven't we been doing this from the get-go? Um, and really fell in love with the method. Um, it liberated me. Uh, it simplified my learning curve. Um, I felt independent on the water faster. So I didn't need um, to have a, a river caddy with me. Um, I, I would sometimes feel guilty when I would go with him because I felt like he was so busy taking care of me on the river that he wasn't fishing and enjoying his day. So this, this liberated me. Um, you know, I, I could master one knot and feel confident with one knot that would get me through a day of fishing. And, um, traditionally you can use just one fly. And so I felt like, okay, I've got one fly, one knot, um, um, you know, a, pretty short length of line, which is makes casting and um, following your fly and, and manipulating it very, very intrinsic and natural. And I can manage that. Um, and it, it progressed from there. So I, I really feel like I fell in, in love with fly fishing through Tenkara. Um, and I, and just to be clear, I use a rod and reel and I'm a saltwater junkie. And so, um, I, I don't use Tenkara exclusively, um, but, um, but have become, you know, a real, I guess, diehard fly angler, especially with the salt, um, through, through Tenkara, really. From a, from a business stance. What was the first step? Um, did did this all happen? Did you start a business right away? Did you wait a number of years? So, um, so kind of to go back to that original question. So we decided uh, to start the business, and um, I was, you know, really behind the scenes um, doing um, marketing. Um, uh, you know, doing the, the labels and the, this and the, that. And, uh, my ex was more of the, you know, the, the front face of the company. He was the angler in, you know, in, in my mind. Um, and then one day after about 15 years, <laughs> um, well, it wasn't, it was 15 years of marriage, not 15 years of the company, but, um, we had a little, a little hiccup in our marriage. And, um, I realized, um, that I really owned the company myself because credit cards were being taken out in my name that I didn't know about. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, debt was being incurred, um, um, by using my social security number and applying for credit cards. So, it was like, well, I guess I kind of own this company anyways. So, um, we got divorced and, um, I had a hard decision to make. I either just walk away from it and give it up or I plow forward and say, you know, uh, I'll give it a go and see what I can do. So that's kind of where I've been. Was it your sole income at the time? I was still teaching. So um, the first year that I took it over completely, I was, um, I was, 
I was sleeping about four hours a week. You know, I was teaching all day and then running out of the classroom and sitting in my car in the parking lot and answering emails, um, you know, before five o'clock and because of uh, Eastern time, you know, so I would sit there for an hour in the parking lot just returning emails and texting and um, doing all that and then going home and uh, filling orders and um, dealing with um, with my manufacturer overseas and all of that stuff. So it was a little bit of insanity. You know, I'd pack orders that night or I'd pack orders in the morning and then drop them off and ship them before I'd get into the classroom at seven o'clock in the morning. And you know, midday, my eye was twitching. and <laughs> That's a sign. Yes. That is where being an energizer bunny comes in handy. I've been accused of the same thing. And I will say it's not necessarily sustainable, but no. it can come in very handy, especially when you're a business owner. So kudos yes. to you. Um, businesses before you, who was, who was really doing Tinkara then at the time? There was Tinkara USA. So uh, Tinkara USA was the first Tinkara company. Um, when, when we started Zen, they were in California. And uh, so we were like, oh, you know, Colorado was the perfect place for, for Tinkara. And, um, you know, we're going to start this business and it's going to be the perfect location, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, later that year, Tinkara USA relocated from California into our backyard in Boulder. And it was like, oh, great. They, oh. You know, they had the same ideas as we did. So, um, so we were the second Tinkara company in the U.S. Um, since, uh, since that time, uh, Tinkara USA, um, uh, the original owner, uh, sold the company. And so he's no longer involved and a group of e-commerce investors have purchased it that are not, not anglers, so to speak, or, you know, affiliated with, um, the fly fishing industry. So, uh, Zen currently is the oldest independently owned and operated tin car company in the U S and we are the, um, first 100% female-owned rod company in the world, actually, um, and, and the second oldest U.S. Uh, Tinkar company. So those are, those are our, our stats. <laughs> Send fly fishing. I mean, it doesn't say Tinkara right in the title, does it? Am um, I getting this well, right? We're Zen Tinkara um, doing business as. So, um, the, the company um, officially um, upgraded its name <laughs> to Zen Tankara, um, but we originally were Zen Fly Fishing Gear. Right. Did you find confusion there? Um, were people questioning if you sold other things as well as Tankara? Did they realize that you were specifically Tankara? People still reach out to us for other equipment. Um, you know, I've never given, I've never walked away from that name completely just because who knows, um, there's always a possibility. It leaves the door open for us, um, because I, I love both methods. Um, but at the moment we don't have any plans, but you never know. <laughs> have you found that being a female owned company, you do end up losing some business? Well, I'll say, you know, it was... And not from sexism. I don't mean sexism. Sorry. I just want to provide some content. Not from sexism, but from people thinking that it's, that it, you're selling rods specifically to women. Um, what's funny is, I mean, there have been times when the company has sort of been pigeonholed to do something um, as a as a female company, um, that actually did not benefit us, that actually hurted, hurt our business. Um, but I think the intention, um, the positive intention was there. I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting, but 
I would say 98.5% of our customers are, are men, are male customers. Um, Tenkara is just, uh, I mean, it's really still gaining popularity. Um, it's had tremendous growth over the last uh, few years. But I do think that women in general are still very behind the learning curve in the in fly fishing as a sport um, or as an industry. And, you know, men are still learning about Tinkara. And so women are still behind that curve. So we have very few, very few women that really know about Tinkara or are, are being introduced to it. For people listening right now who have no idea what Tenkara is, would you mind just explaining the methodology? Sure. It's uh, I mean, Tenkara is a fixed line method of fly fishing. Uh, Tenkara rods are collapsible, telescoping, ultra lightweight rods. Uh, they do not have a spine or a belly, so the way the blanks are wrapped, they flex. 360 degrees equally in all directions. Um, there is no reel. There are no guides. And the line is attached to the end of uh, the rod. It does not go through the rod. Some people think it goes down the middle. It does not. It just attaches to the end. And um, typically, you cast an ultra light, very, very light line that is approximately the length of the rod, which makes landing the fish easier, um, which is traditional tenkara. Uh, but we have really pushed the boundaries of the method. And um, I particularly love casting long lines on, on tenkara rods. So how long of a line and how long of a rod and what kind of taper? So many questions. How, let's start with the rod. How long is the rod or how long can you get the rod to go? Well, it to? depends. So we, we offer seven different models of rods. Um, our longest rod is 15 feet. Our shortest rod is under seven feet, six feet, 10 inches. So, you know, a, a, broad range of rods for a broad range of applications. On average, though, when people think of a traditional Tinkara rod, they're talking 10 to 12 feet. So generally longer than what we think of as um, conventional, you know, our conventional nine foot rod, fly rod. Right. Okay. And then what about the line? Is it just monofilament? Is it an actual coated fly line? Um, so lines um, are really how Tenkara anglers individualize. Um, you So uh, from the lightest presentation, um, you would be using 100% fluorocarbon, which is called Tenkara level line. It does come in um, different... If different uh, diameters from a 2.5 up to a 4.5, uh, but think of it as, you know, spooled fluorocarbon and you're, you're cutting off a length of line and then tying it. So a very, very delicate, ultra, ultra light um, cast and presentation. Um, then there are furled, tapered or braided lines, which are going to be heavier. They're great for learning because they uh, really load the, the rod. You can really feel that load um, and get that timing in. Uh, they are meant to be fished uh, traditional tankara, meaning off the surface of the water with only the fly touching the surface of the water. Uh, because if oh, okay. they are laid on the surface of the water, they're going to absorb the water and either... Um, either sink and pull your fly down, or they're going to splash when you cast them and spook fish. That's the furled leaders? Yes, the furled or, or braided. Are they a nylon or uh, do you know like what the material thread, is? Typically. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, you can go into um, floating lines. We make uh, two proprietary lines. One is a 
nylon core with a polyethylene coating. Um, but it's our, 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 our range, um, is a, a 0. 0.028 diameter uh, of an inch. So very, very, uh, very fine, very thin, um, and very light. Uh, but they do float so that you can cast a longer line if you would like to versus the, the, the fluorocarbon where you need to keep that set up short because if you cast a longer line and lay that on the surface, it's going to sink because it's fluorocarbon and drag your, your fly down, unless you want that, I guess. <laughs> How long? What was your longest line be? Um, in saltwater applications, I have cast uh, like a 35-foot line with uh, my, oh. my leader set up, you know, like a 10-foot um, leader tippet set up. So, you know, up to about 40, 45 feet on a 15 foot or 12 foot rod, you're getting out there pretty far. Yeah. And then are you just doing a pick up and lay down cast? Are you roll casting? Uh, What's the cast look like? So it, so the longer the line, the, you know, the trickier it gets, right? Because you can't shoot and you can't haul. So now you're lifting 30 feet of line off the water or 40 feet. Sounds like a spay casting dream come true. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so I do not uh, proclaim to know how to spay cast, but I have been told that I am spay casting. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, do it. it's a dynamic roll cast, but there's all sorts of things that you could be doing in the air, especially with an airborne anchor yes. where you're loading the rod and aerializing your line and then being able to easily roll that yep. out. So doing a lot of snap tees and big, even a snake roll would be easy. Yeah. What's the handle like on a Tinkara rod? Is it a cork handle? It's a cork handle. Um, and our rods have, you know, very different length uh, handles. So, uh, for instance, um, one of our rods called the Kyogen, which I use often in, in salt or uh, for king salmon or um, silvers up in Alaska, um, Golden Dorado. It, you know, it has a 20, 20, 20 one inch handle fighting handle. Um, so you can get a lot of leverage and, you know, you're really not only for casting where you're almost pivoting the rod in your hand, but it also gives you uh, a lot of stability for fighting. Tenkara originated in Japan. Is that right? Can you talk to me a little bit about the history? And then I've got, I do have questions for you about some other more, um, I don't know, possibly, um, contentious. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. Talk to me about the history of Tankara fishing. Where did it come from and um, how has it changed over the years, specifically in America? Well, it, its origin goes back at least 500 years um, and it uh, started in the high mountains of Japan. Um, it was really poor subsistence, you know, commercial uh, fishermen who were um, who were working the rivers, these high, fast-moving uh, rivers for amago and various trout fish uh, in Japan, and they would use these very long rods to go, you know, to reach out over boulders and that type of thing. Um, there was not a lot of emphasis on uh, flies. Um, often, you know, it said that they would just collect material as they walked to the river, feathers, um, fur, animal fur, those types of things, and then bend needles uh, and tie them on with um, with thread. Um, there, the, um, there is history of original uh, tinkar lines. Um, being made from horse hair, uh, and you can still get horse hair kits <laughs> to build your own tapered horse hair line. Um, but you know, 
in in the US we refer to tenkara flies i think the general public there there are groups of people that get very specific and have you know kind of gone down the rabbit hole um but that sort of the watered-down version is a very nondescript uh, reverse hackle fly called the Sakasa Kabari. And it, it's a great fly because you can do a lot of things with it. You can use it as a dry fly. Uh, it, um, you can nymph with it. It's kind of like a uh, a wet fly. It's not going to – it's not very heavy, so it's not going to uh, – uh, sink very deep, but this was a very simple fly that could be could be tied um, by collecting various things on the way and tying it up. And the idea of the reverse hackle was that when that hackle or that animal fur got wet, and you had this very sensitive long rod with this very short, tight line and setup you could manipulate that fly and get a lot of movement and bring it to life. Um, and it, it worked great in situations where it was opportunistic feeding. So in slow waters, when a fish has a lot of time to speculate <laughs> whether that looks like something they want to eat or not, uh, those flies were not very productive. But um, in high mountain streams, you know, where you've got something hiding behind a rock and they're just, you know, hitting something that's flashing by, uh, it worked very good. So I think flies became a little bit more um, more intricate um, when uh, some of the the trading um, started to happen, and you had people uh, with a little bit more wealth and access to materials. And you know, then there was trade going on, but um, it it really isn't very popular in Japan. It's actually seeing a bit of a resurgence there now that it's become um, more popular in the U S and you know, there's an interest in the U S is actually now bringing uh, the interest back to Japan. Um, But I, I think we, I well, <laughs> there's been a, a lot of debate in the Tenkara community about what Tenkara is, um, and there is. Uh, I when I talk about Tenkara, I like to talk about traditional Tenkara and American Tenkara, just out of respect for the culture and its origins. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that are very. Um, very dedicated to traditional Tenkara and its practice and want it to be carried on that way. Um, I'm more of the mindset that it's a, it's a great method and it's a very effective method. Um, but here in the States, we, I mean, we have just such a broad range of species and waters. Um, and so I've just, personally enjoyed pushing the method to see, all right, is this effective here? Is Does this work here? Can we do this with it? Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And I think that's just the progression of, of anything. Are there any instances where you found something that doesn't work here that is perhaps more suited for Japan? Absolutely. So, you know, like bonefish on Tenkara, you know, is, is that the most effective way of landing bonefish? Absolutely not. But can it be done? Absolutely can. And, you know, how, how does it look? I'm so curious. Do you just run? Do you put the boat into, you know, do you start powering the boat? What, what do you do? No, I, you know, so I will say that there's a limit, um, but the limit is, is much more than what anyone ever expected. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> this is my little, my, my little, uh, my preaching mode. It's all about angles. There's a real science and physics to how and why it works. And I'd probably the largest bonefish I've landed has been about eight pounds. Um, and that's pretty, that's big bonefish. you know, that's pretty big and it, it's, um, it is more, uh, I'm more success, successful when you have those bigger bones, when you are able to walk and you're not on a flat boat, but you know, if you're actually waiting, um, but anywhere from, you know, two to four pounds is, is, is pretty easy. It's actually, I think in many times more effective than, than on a rod and reel because it's just faster you land them much faster. Um, there's pressure on them from the beginning. They never get to run. You're turning them and you're managing them a lot. And, um, and as I said, keeping steady pressure on them. So you don't want any bouncing, um, or, you know, jerky movements. Um, but it, yeah, it works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, just regarding angles, is it all low into the side? So on a, so a tankar rod is tapered and just like any fly rod, um, you know, you're going to have the strength in, in the, the butt of, of the rod more, right. As you get down the rod, um, tankara tips, the tips of the rods are super, super flexible. I mean, you can bend them you know, in half, more than in half. Um, they're, they're, they're very delicate. They're, they're very thin, um, and they are very flexible. And so in traditional Tinkara, you know, you, you do your little trout set and most Tinkara anglers will hold their rod up high. Um, and that bounce, is almost acts a little bit like a drag system, a little bit, right? It allows you to play the fish. When you get on a big, powerful fish, like a barracuda or a junior tarpon or golden dorado or a big rainbow um, up in Alaska or or char, um, you you can't play the fish on the tip. So you really need to lay the rod over about 45 to 65 degrees off the surface of the water. And when you lay the rod over to the side, um, I tell anglers to aim for about a 90 degree angle between your rod tip and the fish. So whenever you hook into a fish, whether it's on a rod and reel or a tinkar rod, you create a triangle, right? You have three points of contact a triad relationship. You've got you, the rod tip, and the fish. And when you're in control, even on a rod and reel, you have about a 90 degree angle between your rod tip and the fish. When you start to lose control and the fish runs and takes line off of your reel, you tend to lower the rod tip and that angle between the rod tip and the fish starts to collapse and is reduced. And that's okay on a rod and reel because 
you're still connected, you know, as long as your drag system is set properly and the fish is running, you have tension on the line, you're going to stay connected, but you're not in control until that raw, that, that fish pauses, is tired. And then you start reeling them in. And as you reel them in, you start to bring your rod back up and you increase that angle between the fish and the rod tip. And you do that over and over again until you land the fish. And in many instances, when you're landing the fish, you know, fly anglers are leaning way, way back. They're almost doing back bends, right? And they're, they're really keeping that angle open as the fish comes in very near. So on a tenkara rod, you don't have the luxury of staying connected if they run. So your goal is always to keep the rod in a, in a curve, in a broad, flexed arc. That's where all those sections of the tenkara rod are working in harmony. It's like an arch. It's a very very uh, strong structure. Um, but the pressure of the fish is distributed evenly along the entire length of the rod. And if you keep your rod tip about 90 degrees from the fish that from the fish, that angle, then you're keeping steady pressure. You're, you're staying out of the tip section and instead you're getting into the butt of the rod and you're using all 12 feet or all 15 feet of that rod. And it becomes very, very, uh, very, very powerful. If you start to lose control and that angle is reduced, what happens is the fish starts to pull you out of the curve right? Since they don't have line to take, the, the ultimate goal of the fish is to straighten your rod out completely, right? And if, you're, if your rod is completely straight, then the fish runs directly, directly perpendicular to you, and you have no way to c- recover because you don't have a reel. So as long as you stay in that curve and you keep that 90 degrees, that fish isn't going to go anywhere. So that's your goal. I tell people, forget about the fish and just keep your 90 degree triangle and you'll land the fish. What do you do if it's a 30 foot line and it's attached to the tip and you can't reel it in? That's a lot of line. Are you trying, and that's a lot of rods. So are you lifting your rod far back behind you and trying to grab your line with your hand to then slowly so retrieve? For, so for landing, so I call it the helicopter. <laughs> So, you know, our arm can only go so far back behind us up over our head, which is another reason for working to the side at that 45 degree angle. Because when you work to the side, I can bring my arm back much farther to the side than I can over my head. And if I put my rod hand all the way out, I extend it as far back as I can. And then I put my other opposing arm out in the other direction. I'm simply rotating my body and walking into the line, basically. And then you hand line. So, but when you do that, you're picking up, you know, five to seven feet at a time. So bringing that line in, hand lining that, that, um, that line in is, it's not a long drawn out process. It's, um, it's relatively quick, uh, but you don't want to rush it. You know, you don't want to drag the fish in really quickly. I, that's the Zen moment in, in all of the, the adrenaline, you know, uh, crazy is, is the hand lining because, um, you want to bring the fish in very gently and, um, you know, that's my sort of still quiet moment where you become the fish whisperer and, and I was just going to say fish whisperer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, just gradually, I mean, you want to keep pressure, but very gradual. And, you know, I've, I've hand lined big chum salmon, you know, in that I thought, Oh, I'm going to lose this fish. I don't have a net. I'll just try and hand line them in. I've got nothing to lose. And it's just, wow, I have a big salmon just hanging out in front of me. 
(laughs) (laughs) They do. They do kind of go into a trance at some point and just succumb, don't they? Yeah. It's like, it's going to be okay. You know, let's just do this together. We're going to take a collaborative approach and you'll be (laughs) off in no time. You just sound like a psycho giant to them. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever you say, don't kill me. <laughs> what about if you're bone fishing with a streamer? Do you, to make it move, do you jolt, you jerk the rod tip? So, yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, I say stri- strippings. I, I love stripping streamers, but you're not really stripping because you're not able to bring line in. So you're imitating that motion with the rod by laying it again over to the side and doing like a little jig motion um, with your arm and your wrist and pulling it through the water and yeah, mimicking a shrimp or, um, you know, a crab. It's very easy. Um, And, and it works in salt or it works, you know, with leech patterns or woolly buggers or <laughs> the whole Everything. thing. I could see it being great for steelhead fishing or swinging. I don't know if you could land a steelhead. I mean, if you're landing eight pound bonefish, theoretically you could, but a 30 foot line on a 12 or 15 foot rod swinging just seems very effective. It, it really is. Now I will say when you're stripping, um, I think your, your distance the, the area that you cover is probably a little smaller than what you could cover um, by traditional stripping. Um, but the but the movement that you get, um, I think, is incredible. You have tremendous control over um, over the fly and um, and you know bringing it to life and doing different things with it. And you know, I think that's that, that's great because. You know, most of what's in the rivers is alive. And so having a, a, I, well, I think it's, I think it's good for people to learn how to manipulate their fly. It's not just about changing flies, but it's learning to do something with that fly. You know, like that, if you add a little motion to that fly, it might suddenly become productive rather than just a dead drift, you know? Right. It's all the difference. You'd mentioned culture earlier, and this is awkward for me because I do not want to get political, but we are in a very strange time in our lives where if you wear too much bronzer, it's cultural appropriation. If you braid your hair, it's cultural appropriation. Kim Kardashian, everybody roll your eyes. Yes, yes. But from a business stance, it's worth noting, she had originally started her Skims company and it was called Kimono, and she was forced to change the name because of you guessed it, cultural appropriation. Have you been accused of that? What is your stance or your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I have been accused of not doing Tinkara. Um, and you know, uh, I guess, um, I, I I I wouldn't say I've been faced with any any real issues. Certainly, um, I don't think from Japanese Tenkara anglers. I think it's um, I think some of the pushback I've received um, just because of the direction uh, my company has gone um, ha- has been you know, what we're doing is not Tinkara. It's fixed line fly fishing. Um, So there is, there's a lot of discussion on what Tinkara is and what Tinkara isn't. And, um, you know, if you do this, are you doing Tinkara, you know? Um, And I, I guess, you know, I, I have been told I, I don't respect the, the tradition and I, I, I do, I, I respect it very much. Um, but I think, I, I think, you know, everything has its origins and I think it's important to recognize where it comes from, acknowledge it, but understand that, you know, that there's a natural evolution in 
everything that we do. For all fly fishing. Exactly. You know, I, I feel like instead of um, fighting that progress, I mean, because let's face it, you know, most Tenkara rods now, even if you're fishing them traditionally, are made out of carbon fiber. And that's not, that's not traditional. Um, but I, I think that's the beauty in it. It, it. To me, it's honoring the tradition. It's saying this, this was a fantastic method that has so many more possibilities. And we're not just fishing in high mountain streams. We're not in Japan. We, we have a plethora of, of species and different waters. Um, not everybody has access to trout, uh, but, you know, do we tell them you can't fly fish because you don't have access to trout? Um, you know, I, I think that's the beauty in it. Um, and I, I am a passionate angler and will always, um, always credit Tenkara and traditional Tenkara as, as being the foundation of that passion. It's where I fell in love with rivers and fish and, and, and fly fishing. So I think it's a beautiful thing, but I, I don't think we just stop. I, and and t- to me, the whole basis of Tenkara was these were commercial anglers who were trying to be as productive and efficient as possible. And so they were using this method because it worked where they lived and what they were targeting. If you picked up a Tenkara angler and you put them someplace else, and said, now, now you, you know, you, you've been fishing this way for years. Um, now take your Tenkara rod and go have success over here. The Tenkara angler, you know, master would probably have to make some modifications. Um, that's just adjusting to your environment and to your species and and to to technologies that we now have available. So. You know, I think that's a wonderful thing. What is the difference between tenkara fishing and fixed line fishing? Well, um, a tenkara purist would say um, tenkara fishing is for trout in um, a small stream, um, mountainous stream with fast-moving water on a short, tight line held off the surface of the water. Um, A fixed line angler uh, is using a tankara rod to fish. (laughs) How he wants to, or she wants to, with whatever length line they want to use. And so... You know, it might be fishing for crappie. It might be fishing for bass. It might be fishing for redfish, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Which again, you know, it, it just, to me, it's, it's, that's sort of laborious. You know, I don't want to have to say yesterday I was Tenkara fishing, but today I used that same rod to fixed line to do fixed line fishing. I mean, it's just, uh, that's too exhausting for me, you know? I totally understand. <laughs> so how long has the business been around now? What what year are you at? Uh, Zen is in our 11th year as a real boy. Yeah. A year before that, not quite a, a real boy. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we've been around. It's, it's taken a while for people to finally say, that's kind of cool <laughs> and show some love, but we're really feeling it these days. And it's, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just been so exciting. Are you sold in shops or just directly online? Uh, we are sold in uh, shops um, and, uh, and online. And we, we have some uh, distributors, um, out of the country as well. Uh, 
we were in more shops. I think we we ended up pulling out of shops. Um, we still struggle with fly shops knowing how to sell. Um, and th- that was, I, mean, I never wanted to be an online store, uh, but we, we had such difficulty getting into fly shops and then for fly shops, understanding how to talk about the product, um, just know the product and be able to sell it. And so they weren't quite as good at it and didn't, um, I think they felt like the sales weren't great. And so they became sort of disenchanted and we, we became frustrated. And so it's like, all right, we're just, we're just going to build the online stuff. And uh, that's what we did. But now we're starting to see fly shops gain interest again, which is kind of neat to see that full cycle, you know, where I think they're realizing it isn't just a fad and, and, um, it makes fly fishing much more accessible to a lot of people just because of the price point. What's next for you? Are you, I, I mean, I know you're all in and what's next for your vision well, and the company? You know, we, we collaborate with um, a number of lodges um, and that's uh, something that is very exciting. Um, so uh, Las Pampas Lodge in uh Patagonia, Argentina, Rabbit's Camp Lodge in King Salmon, Alaska, uh, Pescamaya in uh, Mexico, um, uh, Release Fly Travels in Costa Rica. Um, those are all destinations um, and lodges that are what we call Tinkara-friendly destinations. And um, they're, they're lodges that not only are Tinkara friendly, um, but they have species that are absolutely doable. I mean, you can do an entire week and if you don't want to pick up a rod and reel, you never have, have to, or they can be combination trips. So that's something that we're, um, continuing to do and collaborate on. Um, we've, been, um, it makes it children f- friendly as well. If I saw that, because my daughter's obviously, she can cast a fly rod, but she would be, I think, a lot happier with a Tinkara rod. Yeah. And so, if, you're, if you're looking for your next trip, that would definitely come in handy. We Well, our, our, uh, our last rod that we came out with, even though more adults want them so wanted so far um, than youth, but we... we we designed it with kids in mind and we, we have sold a number to families, um, you know, that want to get their kids into, uh, into fly fishing and just don't want to deal with it. And, you know, it weighs one and a half ounces. So for young children, it's very manageable. Um, but it's, it, we've, we've shipped a lot of rods. We try to support youth programs and, um, have shipped um, a bunch of rods uh, down to Costa Rica for some of their youth programs that they're doing. Um, and, you know, very supportive of that. It's a, it's a great way to learn. Um, I think you, you learn uh, casting better. Um, I think you, because you can start with a very short line and then gradually work your way up to uh, longer lines and learn that that timing and that load, um, hook sets, I think are easier to learn. The rods are more sensitive. Um, and you learn fish management, right? Because you can't let that fish run. So you get really good at turning and, um, and steering, steering the fish, which I think a lot of, uh, anglers don't, you know, we learn we learn to tie flies, we learn to cast, but there aren't a lot of classes or seminars out there in conventional fly fishing on fish management. Um, you know, it's it's casting lessons, it's casting lessons, and so um, you know, I do a presentation and 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 tell people, you know, you spend one season on a tin car rod, and when you go back onto a rod and reel, you will be much better at, um, at steering and managing fish. So it it has a lot to offer. I I also really feel like as, as, as 
fly fishing is, I feel like has been going under, um, this, this pretty dramatic transformation over the last, um, really 10 years, probably even more so in the last five years where we're seeing, you know, women and, um, just people of, um, different socioeconomic backgrounds and, um, ethical, ethnical backgrounds that we don't, didn't typically see in the sport. Um, it's, I think it's very similar to the transition that golf went through, you know, 25, 30 years ago, um, to breathe life into the industry that was kind of flatlining. And you have a lot of people that just, you know, they're, they're never going to be able to afford a stage rod, you know? Um, and they may not have the time or the money um, or the ability to take lessons. And I think Tenkara opens opens up the outdoors and fly fishing to um, a lot of people that you know may not have had access to it before. It's it's you know you can get a high end Tenkara rod for a fraction of the cost of a um, you know a decent fly rod. Um, and there's no real. What is the cost of an average rod? If someone wanted a, a full setup tomorrow, what would the average cost be? Uh, you're out the door for like two, 250 say. And that's for a high quality, high quality Tenkara, like top of the line Tenkara rod. Um, and, and, you know, you could fish with that rod for years and it would perform just fine for you. Uh, so, you know, as I said, that really opens the door to a, a lot of people that may not have been able to access the sport. And, and for beginners, too, that, you know, they're not so sure. They want to drop all this money uh, for something that they may or may not like. Um, you put them into a Tenkara rod, uh, they invest less initially. Uh, so they're not feeling like, oh, I can't believe I'm spending this money. They actually feel positive about the purchase. And the learning curve is faster. And um, they have more success. And it's quicker and easier to set up. So they're probably doing it more and finding more time to do it in their schedule, which means, again, they're practicing and they're inadvertently improving their skills, and they become pretty proficient uh, quickly. The next thing you know, they love fly fishing, and they're going to drop the money on the rod and reel setup, you know, and they're going to save for that guided trip or that destination trip or what have you, because now they're, now they're in love and, uh, you know, they're passionate about the sport, um, you know, and I think that's so much better not only for the customer, but for the industry, you know, because who wants to sell one rod and reel and line to somebody um, who uses it once and then it sits in their garage for five or 10 years and they never pick it up um, and they never walk back into the store and spend any more money. I mean, that's not good for the industry. Oh, it's the perfect gateway. Yeah. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I'm excited to see um, how things go. It sounds like you're Getting into your second decade. <laughs> How does that sound? Sounds unbelievable. It, <laughs> it's been an incredible journey. And um, I just, I have to say it's, you know, it's a little painful at the beginning, but um, the fly fishing community has, has really opened its doors. And, um, you know, it's really neat to see uh, things like IFTD and um, like the fly fishing shows and some of these events now when they have product showcases, best, you know, best product showcases, um, you know, through advocacy and being involved, um, we're, we're seeing separate, separate categories now for Tinkara. Um, and that's, you know, that's, so incredible. I mean, it's, it's just like an absolute happy dance, you know, to see that change in the industry um, and that acceptance that it's, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's great to celebrate. So I hope we'll be around for a long time and 
that we'll just continue to grow and get more people on the water. I hope so too. Well, look, you're the perfect advocate for it. Um, we will wrap it up and I'll let you get back to your night. But was there anything glaringly obvious that I missed that you would like to add? No, I, it's, uh, it was a pleasure. And, um, like I said, it, I just, it's been an incredible journey and I, I love that the industry is opening their arms and hearts to Tenkara and, you know, recognizing that it, it does have a lot of value for, for anglers. So it's just exciting. It's exciting to be a part of it all. Very appreciative. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm very appreciative that you took the time to come on and share. So thank you very much for coming on the show and opening a lot of our eyes and minds to Tinkara and to Zen. So we'll check it out. I'll link your website, but just while people are listening, would you mind just giving me a shout out on your website now? Yeah. So we are just Zen, Z-E-N, Tenkara, T-E-N-K-A-R-A.com. Perfect. Excellent. I will link you up. And then if you have, do you have any questions for me before we go? I I usually ask people if they have questions. No, I'm just, um, I'm just, like I said, thrilled uh, to uh, be participating in this. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 